And we welcome you to the Wednesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I am so pleased for today's program to be sitting opposite Dr. Rick Biella, who is one of the most highly regarded choral conductors in the country and at Carthage College this semester as distinguished conductor in residence of the Carthage Choir. Uh, Dr. Rick Biella, uh, ahead of this, during his long distinguished career, enjoyed a 25-year stint as director of choral studies at Lawrence University up in Appleton, and then after that uh, was at Texas Tech University, retiring there in 2017. But we use the word retired in quotation marks because <laughs> Dr. Rick Biella is keeping very, very busy uh, with all kinds of different uh, activities and undertakings. He uh, remains conductor of the highly regarded San Antonio Chamber Choir and is a very busy clinician. And he's chalked up by now several hundred uh, choral festivals all around the country. And uh, as I've mentioned, is doing marvelous work this semester uh, with the Carthage Choir, uh, shepherding them through this semester uh, in the wake of the departure last spring of uh, Dr. Eduardo Garcia Novelli. And I should mention that Dr. Biella was uh, Dr. Garcia Novelli's first choice. It was his hope and prayer that uh, Dr. Biella would be open to this opportunity to uh, lead the Carthage Choir this fall while a national search is underway for a permanent replacement. And it has worked out beautifully for all concerned. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Professor Biella's uh, long career in choral music, what got it all started, his roots to the Midwest, and uh, the many experiences that he has had uh, on the podium. And we'll be talking about the upcoming fall choral concert at Carthage College this weekend, which will feature, among others, uh, the Carthage Choir under Dr. Biella's leadership. Dr. Rick Biella, we welcome you to the morning show. Well, Greg, I, I think you invited somebody else. <laughs> I don't know who that person is, but anyway, it's good to be with you. And I have to say, any success we've had with the Carthage Choir has been largely due to your wonderful guidance at the piano as well. So thank you so much for all of that collaboration and leadership. It's uh, been fun. It's been great, great fun. Uh, it uh, seems like an ordinary thing to do, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, you were telling me before we went on the air that you were born in Ashland, Wisconsin, and lived there all of two weeks. Yeah, so. two two weeks. I can't say it was a favorite garden spot for my <laughs> mother and father. So my my father was a, a bit of a, an anomaly because he went to college, but he didn't finish, um, and then took over um, sort of ownership, part ownership of a radio station, ah. actually in uh, Ashland, wow. and then uh, proceeded to do the same thing in Independence, Iowa, and Owine, Iowa, and then uh, became the director of sales at WMT in Cedar Rapids for a long time. Ah. Um, and so, so that's why you were moving around a bit in your yeah, childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when I was a little kid, yeah. Wow. Fond, fond memories of old wine. We have some good friends in old wine, Iowa. And, of course, uh, many great friends in Cedar Rapids. Yeah. So Cedar Rapids is where you spent most of your childhood and kind of formative years. And is that where you first began uh, falling in love with music? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, my father was a director of a barbershop chorus. So he, uh, they actually got third nationally, in the, and I feel like I learned or sort of fell in love with choral music 
from a very young age because he would, when it became contest time for the Harmony Hawks, he would have the sectionals in our li- small little living room, not much bigger than this room, quite frankly. Uh-huh. But his 75 uh, men group, he'd divide up into four sections. So he'd have the tenors on Monday and baritones and basses and, and uh, leads uh, the de- rest of the week. But we had an 8 o'clock bedtime because I was the oldest of six children. So mom was done at 8. <laughs> she said, she said good night. But I would sneak down the stairs and listen to him rehearse and sort of watch his magic with, with the men. Wow. And it was just uh, so fascinating when I was in that formative age of 7th, 8th grade to, to listen to that. Among the many things I'm impressed with uh, as I watch you work with the Carthage Choir is your acute sense of intonation and your ability to hear even the smallest infractions or imperfections. And uh, and it occurs to me that might have its roots. That is your really sharp ear in, in barbershop where, of course, that's for whatever you might think about barbershop singing. Uh, one of the hallmarks of it, of course, tends to be a, a really precise sense of intonation and that wonderful sense when a chord is in absolutely perfect tune that the whole room kind of vibrates. My sister and I, Gail, who was a couple years younger than I, we went on a trip to the National Convention, which I think was in Philadelphia or something like that. We had no money. I mean, Dad didn't make much money. So we actually slept in the car in the station wagon on the way out. Mm -hmm. But then we got a chance to watch these incredible choruses and quartets where the ring was <laughs> so marvelous and uh, so amazing. But, I, you know, I sort of hated uh, barbershop music for a while and then have come come back to love it. You know how that goes when my dad had a, a show like this at mm. 1230 on Sunday. So we got home from church and we had to listen to his radio show while we were eating <laughs> lunch. So all of us had a sort of a love-hate relationship. Don't we want to do something else? Yes, right, probably. <laughs> so so as you got, for instance, into your high school years, were you uh, kind of a musician first and foremost, or were there other well, things you know, that kind yeah, of Yeah, no, in? I was uh, yeah, definitely very interested in music and, and sang in the choir, and I, I was playing piano, uh, not to your level, but was playing piano uh, at a strong level for a high school student and uh, won some state competitions there and played for the choir and then got a chance to direct the choir as a high school student. Uh, the director was nice enough to turn over a piece uh, to me as a high school senior. So and I had a madrigal group at Cornell uh, College. I was in Mount Vernon, Iowa, where I had my undergrad. Okay. So I had that group for two years, accompanied them for a year under uh, Dan Culver, uh, who was longtime orchestra director at uh, in um, Moline Rock Island, the Augsburg, not Augsburg, Augustana. Aug- Augustana thank yeah. you, Augustana College. Great mentor as well, just a wonderful musician, and uh, so that was a cool, big deal there. So this stint you had back in high school, where you're. Your uh, conductor actually handed the baton over. Was that something you requested, or is that something that? No, he uh, thought I, he thought I was ready for it, and uh, and he just thought you would enjoy yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, enjoying it. I remember it was Houston Bright was the composer, so like a piece called Moon or something like that. I can't re- quite remember, uh-huh. but it, it made a big impression. So, what did that feel like to step on the podium and suddenly be? 
on the other end of the equation versus a singer in the choir. Uh, I mean, it's obviously the same exploit, but from a completely different end. Uh, did it feel natural and wonderful right from the start? Yeah, I mean, it. I would say uh, it's just... I. I <laughs> At one time, I got a chance to go back to that same high school and be the high school director at Washington High School, Cedar Rapids. Most difficult transition of my life of mm. taking over that choir because the, the conductor that was right before me was very different persona. And so the anyway, difficult transition. And I actually looked at what else could I do other than teach choral music because mm. this was not happy time mm. in my career and um, I decided I really didn't do anything else very well <laughs> <laughs> so it so, was this yeah, yeah yeah well and you know I mean that's that's a good realization about yourself about where you can make a difference absolutely so you mentioned that uh, you did your undergrad at uh, at Cornell tell right. us more about that school and 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 about your studies there well, it's a small little school, um, but uh, at that time, the music program was quite large. There was, I think, 17 full-time faculty. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so I, I, was, I started off as an organ, organ major, and, uh, and then I did a, tried to do, in my sophomore year, I tried to do an organ and piano double major, and I almost flunked out of school because I was only practicing. I did eight hours a day on each instrument. Wow. So it was everything else just went to the sidelines. But in that same year, uh, the orchestra director, uh, Bob Thayer, and Alf Halcom, who was the choral director, both had back problems. <laughs> so we were doing the B minor mass at the time. They both had to go out of their own rehearsals. So I took over conducting both groups for two weeks on the wow. B minor mass. Wow, a huge work. <laughs> so by, another reason that my... I almost flunked out of school <laughs> Wow, as a sophomore. But they didn't have anybody else that they felt uh, comfortable giving the group to. So anyway, that was a sophomore year in college doing that amazing work. And we were, I think I remember it like it was yesterday, trying to work on the Gloria and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I mean, the... <clears throat> we were working on the the requiem movements, the introit, and 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 just all of the different things that were going on was were really fascinating, overwhelming, really. Wow. <laughs> so so by fire, <laughs> right? So that's why that's what, in a sense, precipitated this shift then for you to focus your studies on uh, on on choral rather than piano well, organ. Well, actually, I had a. Uh, full ride to SMU down in Texas as a from undergraduate and I just couldn't see myself uh, being that isolated from teaching hmm. so I grabbed a music education degree at the last minute at Cornell and then did some summer courses at Iowa and started teaching immediately at Ripon High School to begin with oh. uh, so I was there for four years and then Went back to my own high school, at Washington High School, where the rough transition. Yeah, rough transition, yeah. and then um, got a call in late July for a one-year appointment at uh, Lawrence University because the gentleman that had 
been there before, had just resigned, and they were looking for somebody, and, they, and somebody had recommended me to, to look at. So I came up there, and we had a family at that time, and Linda had to stay back and Cedar Rapids until I knew that this was going to work. And this was real. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, too. I mean, I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand that, that first of all, making the leap from high school to, to collegiate is, right. is tricky, and, uh, and it's not very often that that leap is made uh, into a school of the renown of Lawrence University. I mean, one of the yeah. best music schools in the country as far as undergrad is is concerned and uh what a wonderful opportunity that, that was handed to you that's incredible yeah well it was it was um a, a big a big jump but the the actual the choir itself at that time was not <laughs> very strong so it was a, a long journey of of recruiting and they were it was they were in a down time hmm. so it, at that time we only had uh i think 20 Voice majors, and, wow! And uh, so, in my twenty-five years there, we went from twenty to one hundred and twenty-five hmm. voice majors, and I think that's about where it is right now. Yeah! Wow, that's so. incredible. <laughs> so you were there for twenty-five years, right? And and not only experienced tremendous growth, but I should think some incredible thrills of music making, yeah, especially yeah. once uh, once the program had uh, been developed to your liking. Yeah, it was, I, I remember uh, very thoroughly the Benjamin Britten uh, War Requiem experience. And I remember for the first time we did Carmina Burana and, you know, the B minor mass we did there as well. And uh, many experiences and obviously many uh, smaller works with choir only right. that were great. Yeah, amazing. And from there, you go to Texas Tech University. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and the kind of opportunity that Texas Tech offered you that was uh, irresistible, from the, evidently? Well, in the 25th year at Lawrence, we uh, got invited to sing at the National Convention in Oklahoma. So we were down there, and one of the people that was on the search committee, Carolyn Cruz, who is in charge of music education, and associate director of the the women's choir at Texas Tech had heard us. They had brought in two or three candidates already and were not happy with um, what they were seeing. So they call. She called me, and I was in the airport going down to New Orleans on that to see my grandchildren over spring break. Linda was in Europe at the time, uh, studying French and working with some students. That's what she did. And uh, proceeded to <laughs> uh, be convinced to apply for this position. By she wanted me to, to apply for this. So that was on a Tuesday. On Thursday, I flew to Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> and interviewed for the position. Wow! And so, t- and it went well. And there was a good chemistry. Carl Dent and others. Carl Dent. Uh, was in charge of the committee, and he was a soloist with Robert Shaw, and we really hit it off. Uh, and and I felt like 25 years at Lawrence, I had done pretty much everything that I could do for that program, and this was a good chance. The main impetus for moving was uh, the work with the graduate students. Mm. That turned out to be very fulfilling right? and, and very, very enriching. And interestingly, that's what was so appealing uh, to uh, 
uh, Eduardo Garcia Novelli in taking the position he has yeah, at Kansas, Kansas yeah, is yeah. the opportunity that he had uh, long sought uh, to be able to work with grad students. So uh, it's interesting uh, parallel there. And so you were at Texas Tech University, and it's probably important for us to talk for a moment about the choral tradition in the state of Texas overall. Yeah. This is something that Eduardo shared with me since he was down in Beaumont yeah, right. years before coming to Carthage. But I, I never understood until speaking with him about just the the incredibly rich choral tradition in Texas at the high school level and at the in the colleges and universities. It's it's incredible, like yeah. no other place in the country. Yeah, well and there's such there's such a dedication to excellence um, and uh, some of it misguided for uh, perhaps for reasons of ego mm. but but um, but many much of it of, of the idea that uh, a really enriching experience is one of excellence is based upon if if there is excellence in the core that's going to infect everything else they do and so there there is a strong sense of purpose when you go out and do a festival or a workshop in Texas, it's usually like no other. I can remember being in the woodlands just north of Houston doing that festival. It was better than any of the Allstate experiences I'd had around the country, you know. And so, <laughs> just phenomenal preparation and uh, mm. care for the students and care for the voice and uh, all of that that, mm. that really infects uh, so much. And the Allstate tradition itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. The top all-state uh, choir, some ten thousand students, auditioned for this choir of one hundred and fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine the level of yeah, singers. The cream of the yeah, cream of the, the crop. Yeah, the creme de la creme. <laughs> yeah. So how long were you at Texas Tech? Eight years. Eight years. And um, at some point towards the end of that, you took on another assignment, which you still have. Namely, a directorship of the San Antonio Chamber Choir. Uh, tell us uh, the circumstances under which you you took that on, and a little more about this group. Well, I was doing a festival in San Antonio, um, and Kay Sherrill, who was a member of the group, uh, came up to me and said, "How come you haven't applied for the San Antonio Chamber Choir?" I said, "Well, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't even know really what the San Antonio Chamber Choir is." Anyway, so she asked me to apply. It's the only professional choir in San Antonio. So we the, we give the singers a small stipend um, for each rehearsal and all of that. But it's a group of 24 to 28 singers. Uh, Scott McPherson, who's at Kent State now, uh, was the founder of that group. Mm. I knew Scott's work, and he's he was excellent. And so I, so I applied for the position, and there was uh, a lot of prominent... Uh, conductors that were in, involved with the, with that pool and for whatever reason they decided to stick with me and mm. so I'm just finishing the seventh year and we've got exciting exciting year this year coming up uh, with different projects very good so how far is that from Lubbock which is where Texas oh, Tech I was, is I just flew yes <laughs> oh boy so all we had I had a bike my first year in Lubbock I didn't have a car so I would bike to school, and then I would have the grad students take me to the airport to get wherever I was going to the to the next gig because I was out almost every weekend doing different gigs. Wow! With <laughs> wow! Well, that that helps us understand how you uh, 
uh, retired from Texas Tech in 2017. <laughs> I mean, with a, although uh, was that a was that a hard decision to make? Well, you know, my wife was very gracious because she wanted to come back to Wisconsin, and this was her home. So she uh, moved back a year before I left and said, if you want to stay, and she would come down and visit, of course, but that's it's your decision when you want to retire. Well, it was just, you know, there's that point of, okay, I can't, I was looking at, I had one stint where I went 30 weeks straight working seven days a week, you know, wow. and, you know, and you know the pressure on, on the road of doing good work when you're in a festival setting. So... Most of those were anywhere between 100 and 500 kids uh, that you're working with over the course of two days and come back and do your own fly in early Monday morning or late Sunday night and you go at it again. Mm. So I decided I couldn't take that pace at age 67, I guess it was. Wow. <laughs> but you'd made the choice to stick with the San Antonio Chamber Choir. Yes. Uh, yeah, which this... is a heck of a commute. Uh, yeah. Tell us why you wanted to uh, keep on with that. Well, um, it's a it's a quite enriching experience. Most, many of the singers are uh, educators, so mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's still sort of a mentorship, in that. And we get a chance to do. We've had some superb um, opportunities. We had uh, a CD that came out called "Music of the Baltics" or "Christmas Christmas in the Baltics" mm-hmm. in 2017 or 18, um, and that received some. Some play towards uh, a Grammy attention. Uh, we didn't get a Grammy, but we <laughs> we did at least get some notice. Yeah. And uh, so there there's some potential there for doing some great work. I think. Right. Yeah. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking today with Dr. Rick Biella, who, uh, as we have just been talking about, has had a long and distinguished career as a a choral conductor uh, for a quarter of a century at Lawrence University in Appleton, and then at Texas Tech University in Lubbock. He is still the uh, conductor of the San Antonio Chamber Choir, but now at the moment, uh, the primary focus of his considerable energies is as the distinguished conductor in residence of the Carthage Choir. And uh, he was issued that invitation, and he accepted that, and so he is at the helm of the Carthage Choir uh, for this fall semester. And I do hasten to add, he was the first choice of Dr. Eduardo Garcia Novelli, who uh, departed Carthage in, uh, in in the spring, and he hoped that uh, Dr. Biella would be willing to uh, take on this uh, temporary stint as as head of the Carthage Choir, which he did accept. Uh, Dr. Biella, let's let's hear a little more about this invitation that came to you from from Carthage College. What can you tell us about uh, about the invitation and your thought processes and in, in well, terms I mean, of the, whether or not to the, accept? The first person to give the okay was my wife. <laughs> Said, "Well, okay, we can we can deal with that." And, and so I've got a nice apartment at the Petretti Apartments. Little plug for Petretti, <laughs> and uh, and uh, of course, all of you, the faculty, have been incredibly supportive. And but, but tell us a little bit about, I mean, the invitation, how it was worded, and, I mean, what the opportunity represented, and then what you kind of thought about in terms of whether or not to say yes. Well, I mean, um, a lot of the reason I said yes is because of working with you, and, and Eduardo sp- spoke um, most highly of the need to make this transition be as smooth as, as we could. I've, I've been through several of those kinds of transitions that have not been as successful, I think the choir is, 
and Greg, you can speak to this, but I think they're buying into what we're trying to produce, um, and so they're they're working hard, and and uh, so I, I feel as though um, everybody is is doing their best uh, best work to uh, make this an enriching experience and moving moving forward, and and thinking about I'm continually thinking about this idea we're all just here for a little bit, <laughs> whether it's one term or five years or 10 years, whatever it happens to be. And why not move move it forward if we can? Right. Yeah. Um, were you at all hesitant to take on something like this? I mean, and have you ever done anything like this before? I'm, I'm guessing probably not. I mean, where you've come in for the span of a semester. Well, I, I've not, I've not done a full semester, but I was in 12 universities before the pandemic in that year, 20, that 19, 1920, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think. So uh, doing anywhere between three days and two weeks. Uh, I was out of Colorado because there was a conductor that was quite sick mm-hmm. for three and a half weeks. So we did a whole concert cycle in that time and down in Florida for a sabbatical replacement. And uh, so, and, it, and several states in between. Wow. So... Yeah. In, in this respect, then, this was not so unprecedented for you, but I suppose maybe the length of time, I mean, yeah. committing to a full semester. And f- for someone with your calendar, was it tricky to sort well, of figure and, that out if it was com- doable? Com- and coming out of the pandemic, this was the only semester right now that <laughs> would work for that. Um, I think they wanted me to consider coming for a full year, but I couldn't commit to the second term because of other commitments. Right. A lot of things going on. Yes. So uh, what is it like when you are standing in front of a a room full of strangers, like, for instance, yeah. the Carthage Choir? I suppose it's a little bit akin to all of what you've done in terms of festivals, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of festivals over the years. And yet this is something different because it's going to be kind of a, a different relationship. What did you kind of think about in terms of trying to foster the the right kind of connection with these singers well i'm I'm teaching also the vocal methods class in the morning and i i'm reminded of uh, the words by martin katz the great pianist from the university of michigan oh yeah um who i got a chance to sit in on a workshop of his and someone was asking what do you start with what do you begin with do you begin with scale work do you work on you know some kind of technique and he said these words that have sort of touched me as a way to start imagination's hunger feeds the work Mm. so that if we can trigger the imagination of our singers i think our best work moves forward and then you can get into the nitty-gritty if there's a if there's a why to what you're doing that's clear to the singers or the player that you're working with or soloist or whatever it happens to be Mm. and the, the more that that's uh, triggered, the more likely the music making becomes, in a sense, spontaneous, even though obviously it's incredibly prepared. But there is a moment when the, it's fully in the hands of the singers and out of the hand of the conductor. That That's when that moment starts to be, I think, transformative for the ensemble, for the experience as becomes uh, sort of an essence of life. Mm. So that's what I'm always going for every yeah, day. <laughs> right. 
So uh, I know from 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 working with you that you are someone who really likes to uh, lay out a fairly detailed plan in terms of exactly what you're going to rehearse and on which day and in what way and so on. And is that always the way uh, you have operated as a, as a conductor, or is that something over the years that you've come to realize is important, at least for you, in terms of what works well for you? Well, Greg, you know this well. There's um, The common domain is every conductor in the world will say, we don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of wasting time in terms of uh, the singer's time by not preparing thoroughly for the for the week, for the individual rehearsal, etc., uh, I, I just have no time for in terms of <laughs> <laughs> allowing that for myself to be that undisciplined. So I, I feel like, in connection to the the aspect of spontaneity, is organization is critical for any conductor to be successful. He's mm. got to have he's got to have both components, and you can see it all over the country. There's people that are incredibly gifted but are not organized, and they run into trouble at some mm. time. Or the other way, they're all organized, but they're not creative. Mm. <laughs> and it just becomes boring. Right. And right. so the singers sort of turn off or become autonotrons or whatever it happens to be. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting balancing act. And yeah. it yeah. seems like every conductor, the way they are wired, that has a lot to do with which side you need to make sure you're fostering yeah. and, and so on. So one of the things I've noticed is that uh, when you are rehearsing the Carthage Choir, for instance, and you hear something that isn't quite right or not what you want it to be, there is this wide array of possibilities in terms of how to address that. And often a, a given problem might be addressed in two or three or four different ways in, in that moment. What kind of goes through your head uh, in the moment when you hear that this chord is flat or this... Uh, attack of the phrase is flabby or whatever it might be yeah. that 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 you are that you are not pleased with in terms of deciding what am I going to do about this in this moment? I I try to stay positive. I hope I'm doing that always. And the aspect of of first of all, if if you fully believe, no singer wants to sing out of tune. No singer wants to sing with a bad sound. No singer wants to do anything except for the very best. Then your job is to figure out what triggers better singing. So it might be a kinesthetic approach that touches some students. It might be a verbal uh, touch. It might be example of singing it away a certain way. Or it might be a matter of having someone in the choir demonstrate. Or it might be a matter of, of sharing an affective uh, concern about what the music is about uh, together that uh, touches the ensemble in a way for change. So understanding where the choir is at any given second in that process is a critical component. Hmm. I think to, to having the right trigger for success and obviously reading the room. <laughs> I mean, we all went through this at the end of last week, how, how difficult it could be to rehearse when they're dealing with midterm exams, etc. So understanding when to push, when, <laughs> mm. when not to, and, and all of that is, is, a, is a tricky thing, especially uh, in a situation where you're not their usual professor, too. So. Right. Uh, 
by and large, do you think very much consciously about making sure that a given rehearsal is fun? Or as far as you're concerned, the fun is in the music making and, and, and fun does not need to be sort of artificially introduced into the mix. I, I try to have at least some levity in rehearsal, <laughs> hopefully some bad joke that they go, oh, that's a dad joke, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I don't do it for without uh, a purposeful uh, musical uh, rendition of moving, moving something forward through some kind of strange antics that I that I might do, mm. but um, I think it's I think it's clear that to everyone that a a body, I'm meaning the physical body, if that's not engaged uh, in the singing process, the singing process becomes less than uh, interesting. So the idea of having physical activity uh, balanced with good vocalism. And, and a good uh, intellectual balance to to the purposes of all the songs is continually that paradigm shift that I'm trying to achieve in, in every rehearsal hmm. and hopefully in every concert. Right. What about the matter of praise, bestowing praise, I mean, positive reinforcement when you hear things? And, of course, there's a, the, that runs the gamut, I mean, from conductors who are lavish with their praise yeah. uh, to those who are really, really stingy and, yeah. and really don't want their singers to be the least bit dependent on, on praise from the podium. Um, where do you fall in that continuum? <laughs> what, what do you think the proper role of, of sort of positive I, compliments I, is? I think praise like good sound, uh, good job are sort of meaningless words that tend to fall off the students or the professional choir in very fast order. So that the more specific we can get with the praise, Mm. I love your lower register. I was just working with soloists last week on uh, one of our closing pieces, Mm -hmm. saying, I love your lower register. Can you carry that to the top? Or um, bass's excellent balance on that good ring on that low G this time. So that the more that that can be uh, quantified in a sense of, okay, I'm, uh, or if I say something better <laughs> versus good, mm. that is, good, good to me sounds like an arrival point. Mm. And we're never at an arrival point, really. Uh, but this aspect of, of the journey, uh, I think in one rehearsal I said, isn't it wonderful just to think about process as we, you know, rather than just product. Mm. The process of, of swimming in this uh, amount of detail that, that we want to get to, uh, to make this music fully come to life, as the composer intended, you know, and then picking the right music for the right choir. So hmm. we're going to get to the concert, aren't we? Yes. Oh, yes. Very, <laughs> very shortly. Yeah. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Biella, and he is uh, the current distinguished conductor in residence of the Carthage Choir. And uh, one of the reasons we had him on today is because this coming weekend is the fall uh, 
choral concert over at Carthage, which will feature uh, actually all of the choral ensembles at Carthage, including the Carthage Choir, which uh, Dr. Biella uh, is currently conducting. So uh, tell us about some of the repertoire that's on the program for Sunday that you're excited about. Well, I'm very excited. We're doing a, a portion of this concert is just called Cries. So we're starting off with a wonderful piece called Death Came a Knockin' uh, by Ruthie Foster. Ruthie Foster is a, uh, a singer, a black singer in Austin, Texas now, who uh, uh, people compare to Aretha Franklin uh, and, and is just a, a really marvelous talent. Paul Raritan did the choral arrangement, and Paul is at Temple University. He wrote for the Temple University Choir mm. originally, and it's uh, got three wonderful student soloists involved with that piece. And then the second piece we've got, we've got that, so that's Cries of Loss. So, you know, death came a knocking on. It's a really powerful piece. Second piece is called Five Solace, and that's uh, written by a Minnesota composer, Kyle Peterson. He's an up-and-coming giant in the choral world, uh, is, uh, and it's going to be directed by one of our graduate students in the choir who's finishing a music degree and uh, his name is uh, Franco Basili and he's doing a marvelous job with mm-hmm. that group and this this piece speaks of five different aspects of faith and was originally written uh, as the it was written in 2016 as the original uh, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation mm-hmm. so uh, he, Kyle is quite a strong Lutheran and so felt uh, very compelled to write in that realm. Then we go back to uh, 1638 with uh, Claudio Monteverdi, and we're doing Cries of the Nightingale, and uh, this is the Dulcimus Uscignolo, and uh, that piece is a, a marvelous little testament to Monteverdi's understanding of the sounds of the nightingale, and you can hear the Sopranos doing the cries of the nightingale. Mm. I think what what is interesting is definitely at that time, Monteverdi probably thought that the nightingale that was crying was uh, the female nightingale. Of course, we know now that it's the male nightingale, Mm. but I think that's an interesting parallel to think about. Then a piece that we performed uh, last concert we're doing again because of its longevity Zinzucht, longing or yearning by Johannes Brahms uh, with your wonderful playing at the piano has been a quite quite a powerful testament to uh, the choir's journey on a on a quite a difficult piece they've come a long ways on that next is a piece uh, that is from a chorale by Bach um, and it's uh, called Cries of Death, and that is uh, Come Sweet Death, and it's just a simple chorale, but then there's an improvisatory figure where we explore each note of that chorale, and and the students are experimenting with sounds of uh, doing a crescendo, diminuendo, experimenting with the quality of their voice, and making that happen. Then Montana composer uh, David Maslenka, uh, from his uh, uh, The Courage 
for uh, Life and Death, called Little Dance for Barbara Mason, and about cries of self-worth. That's with vibraphone and clarinet. Uh, we have clarinetist within the choir who's doing wonderful work, Katie Ann Nelson, and Justin Hall is coming back to do the vibraphone. And we finish up with Sean Kirshner's I'll Be On My Way with uh, three different soloists involved with that project. You're playing, and we've got another violinist with, with that piece as well. So it's a great variety. So I'll Be On My Way is Cries of Hope. So all different kinds of cries, the quality of the cry is really interesting displayed by the composer. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting journey um, from the beginning of Death Came a Knockin', Cries of Loss to Cries of Hope at the end. We are also going from C minor to C major mm. as we go all the way in that harmonic journey as well. Wow. Very good. Uh, I remember uh, Eduardo Garcia Novelli saying that uh, among the many things you do so well is putting together a repertoire, which is also something that was really important for him to not just pick a bunch of really yeah. great pieces, right. but a sense of their progression and how they sort of flow together. So so this is the offering of the Carthage Choir uh, for the concert that's coming up this weekend. And uh, also uh, there'll be uh, offerings by the uh, the uh, Collegiate Chorale and the uh, Treble Chorus and the uh, Lincoln Chamber Singers, uh, all part of this concert. And the Lincoln well. Chamber Singers directed by you. That's right. You're doing a personal uh, <laughs> uh, Yes. Piece, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, give, give Dr. Dene a little break between uh, his two ensembles that uh, – are also singing on the program, so should be should be great, great fun. And uh, I actually don't have the day it's until two, two p.m. Okay, October thirty first, Sunday afternoon, su- Sunday afternoon in the chapel. Very good. I wanted to just mention a couple other quick things. One of them is that uh, it occurred to me quite early in the semester. I I found it so remarkable that you appear to know every single member of the choir by name. And of course, by this point in the semester, that's probably to be hoped and expected. But but I mean, really early on, and even with people, you know, walking around in masks, which makes it so hard to kind of know who's who. But clearly, that must be really important to you. You must go out of your way unless you have this extraordinary facility for names and faces. Uh, but that that you are able to call upon members of the choir by name. I mean, uh, students that you have not known at all until yeah. this fall. Well, uh, Dimitri was a big help in that process. At our retreat in the first weekend, I said, can we get pictures of the singers so I can practice learning their names? Ah. So we had pictures without their masks. I still find it difficult sometimes. Oh, that's I remember that red hair. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's Maddie, okay, or whoever. Uh, and so I... Uh, I, I'm continually looking at that little Google folder that he gave me of all the students. Wonderful. Their pictures. We have not yet mentioned the fact that you are someone who has also engaged in uh, composing and uh, and arranging and so on. And that appears to be something that there, there's no fall off. Uh, you are continuing to do that kind of work. Just say a word about uh, at what point in your career you began to do that and the kind of satisfaction that gives you? Um, I was director of the White Heron Corral in, in Appleton, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin, for a long time. And my first job, actually, I started arranging out of necessity. I had a boy choir group at 
Ripon Middle School, uh, about 80 boys in a small choir room. And with boys, mm. <laughs> nothing works. <laughs> That's published. So you're studying, and not much works. Anyway, so there was a, a long, long uh, train of, of compositions, uh, most of which are unpublished. But uh, mainly with the White Heron Chorale, I found the need to do a lot of arranging. And I also did some for uh, Lawrence Conservatory, um, a shaker tune, Idumea. Has gotten a lot of play around the world, actually. Hmm. But um, uh, yeah, and we just started a new choral series that uh, the Five Solas is part of that series that we're doing. So th- this is something that you're kind of overseeing. Yes, and right. So, and so yeah, this and, is the work of other composers yeah, and composing myself. Some yeah. we have a piece that uses Beethoven Nine and Joy to the World together with brass ensemble that I'm I'm doing down in Oklahoma in February. Terrific. So, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. So have you thought very much about what it's going to feel like in December when this <laughs> long stint with the Carthage Choir is over? Well, um, I, I go, in, go into uh, hope, hopefully the transfer um, to new leadership is set up for uh, success, and that's, that's, that's the main purpose in an interim kind of position. I... I I, I find it difficult to end <laughs> uh, things, so um, I'm not sure how I'll actually feel when it finally comes to an end. I've so enjoyed working with you, and it's uh, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Well, uh, Dimitri, who's taking over um, in second term, has already asked me to come back. So in <laughs> January, <laughs> February, I said sure, I'd be glad to uh, to help out a little bit if if needed. Very good. Well, I know uh, the students have gained a tremendous amount from uh, from working under your leadership, and uh, your standards of excellence have uh, called upon the very best that they can give, and and uh, that bar I I think continues to raise, and it's exciting to see. So uh, we hope that you're. Uh, have been enjoying it as much as they, and uh, we hope a lot of people will turn out for this concert on Sunday afternoon where you can uh, see Dr. Biella on the podium leading the Carthage Choir as distinguished conductor in residence. Uh, Professor Biella, we appreciate you uh, making time in uh, your busy schedule to bike on over to our studios <laughs> and to uh, join me today on the morning show. It was really great to talk with you and learn more about your long career. Well, great to be with you. We'll have to take a biking trip together sometime. <laughs> Very good. All right. Thank you again for being part of the morning show today here on WGTD.